Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the EMU, not to be confused with the emu, the giant bird that <laughs> resembles the ostrich, but the economic and monetary union in the EU. Cassandra, that has to be one of the worst jokes we've told on the <laughs> podcast so far. I'm, I'm a tad embarrassed. But, I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I say we move on from it, and it's a good attention grabber. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, so tell us, what, what is the economic and monetary union? Um, so it's essentially a policy, an idea that regulates monetary and fiscal policy, I guess, in the European Union. So the idea of it was created in 1992 under the Maastricht Treaty, and it wasn't until 1999 that a common currency was introduced, and that common currency is the euro. Yeah, so the EMU starts really with an idea of further integrating fiscal and monetary policy, like you said, and sort of some components of that, um, it included limited debt. Um, it also deepened reuni- or unification of Europe in general. I mean, sort of, we've had this this trend towards more economic integration, and then we've also seen a little bit of social and political integration, both in the EEC and the ECSC. And now with the EMU, we sort of go into something that wasn't really taken into account in the other treaties. And so um, it, it adds another aspect of unification of Europe. Um, it also created a monetary policy under the central bank, which eventually sort of spurred the idea. And I, I think it was sort of a, an idea when they first wrote the Maastricht Treaty to introduce a single currency. Yeah. And like you said, there has been previous attempts of economic I guess, integration, and much of that, like we've talked about in previous episodes, is more trade, like between goods, services, people, all of that. But this is the first one where, uh, what is it, exchange rates and being able to go from one country to the next and use XYZ currency um, to make those exchanges. Well, let's start with some important definitions before we get into the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll start with fiscal policy. And so fiscal really means sort of um, interest rates mm-hmm. in that aspect, whereas monetary is much more the supply of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it all sort of comes down to the European Central Bank. These are both tools governments and institutions use to regulate economic growth. Um, and the big way I, I sort of remember it is monetary starts with money. Mm-hmm. So think about it as money, and fiscal is sort of everything else. <laughs> I think that's a great definition. Um, one other thing that the EMU did is kind of establish the Eurozone, which I'm sure everybody's heard of. It's pretty much the zone where like every country within the Eurozone uses the Euro. It's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, and so while the, the EMU was more all-inclusive, so most countries in the EU itself adopted, well, actually all of them adopted the EMU, not all of them adopted the Euro. So mm-hmm. there was a clause that said you could, I, I think it was... Um, you're still allowed to use or implement your own currency, um, which, I mean, the most famous example is the UK, of course, with the Great British Pound. Right. Um, but there's also 
other aspects of or, or different countries. There's even a few countries outside of the EU that use the euro. For mm-hmm. example, I think Montenegro um, and, a, and a few other smaller countries that it, it doesn't make sense for them to have their own currency. Yeah, it's definitely important to differentiate the EMU and the eurozone. So I guess following that is some of the things that came with the EMU, which I will ask you as the econ genius of this podcast. Um, one thing that we're, we want to talk about is the stability and growth pact, um, inflation, coordination of different of policies. So please tell me about that. Yeah. So apart from sort of, well, it, it really is the monetary and fiscal binding in, in the Europe the economic monetary union. So the the idea of the stability and growth pact, it was an agreement to enforce these fiscal policies and it it encouraged discipline within EU member countries. And that that might sound a little odd um, because usually when we talk about stability or sustainability itself, we we think environment, which Mm -hmm. that's not what this is. It's more responsible and sustainable borrowing Mm -hmm. so a lot of countries the u.s being one of those of course they take on debt to fuel sort of their economic machine that's that's how they they get everything moving that's how they finance different operations that's how they keep interest rates low deal with inflation etc etc and so the stability and growth pact it required government deficits which deficits are the amount you can be over budget um, essentially, you sort of have a balance sheet and you're, you're spending money and you're taking in money through tax revenue, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And it, it limited you being over this this balance sheet by 3% of your GDP. Then the other big one was the government debt has to be less than 60%. And so the difference between debt and deficit is debt is, it's a loan, more or less. Mm-hmm. So the, this is where countries borrow. So we've um, Germany wants to borrow money from France, from a French bank, et cetera, et cetera. It can't be more than 60% of their GDP. Okay. That makes sense. Well, it's, it's very math. <laughs> no, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I think where this all sort of comes down to it and sort of comes like a real life example of this is the Euro crisis. Mm-hmm. And so the EMU it was sort of meant to stop any of these crises because you see in the late 70s, 80s, economic instability in Europe, you see globalization start to happen. And so everybody's sort of worried about want to collapse to what what could be going on. You have mini crashes, you have the dot-com bubble. And so the Euro crisis exemplifies exactly what happens if people don't hold themselves to these standards. Yeah, it shows what instability and volatility can do. Exactly. And so it was Greece, Ireland, and a lot of different European countries that didn't hold themselves to these regulations. And so it caused the currency to to dip. It caused the uh, European Central Bank to start to, to really feel pressure from the outside. And it really sort of, sort of culminated. But we're going to have a whole separate podcast about what even the euro crisis mm-hmm. is. And why that that looks important. And so, let's let's go back. Um, so we've covered sort of Maastricht Treaty. Is there anything you want to add about that? I guess I don't think so. I think we kind of covered it, and it's something that we're going to talk about in a, another episode when we talk about specific treaties. 
Um, one thing we would like to mention is the European Central Bank is something that keeps price inflation and the euro below, but close to over 2% over the medium term. So I'm not exactly sure what exactly that means. So please. Okay, so I'll try to de- define inflation as, as well as I can. Money uh, doesn't make sense. It, it's, it's sort of a difficult topic to define, but it's actually something that impacts most of us. So essentially, if I have a dollar in 1966, how much is my dollar worth today? Probably that's, a lot more. Um, that's a lot less. <laughs> and so basically... <laughs> How this is measured is it, it uses a price index and this thing called a consumer price index. It, it's these, these different baskets of good that one dollar, one euro, one yen can buy. And so the goal of the banks is to make sure that the currency doesn't lose too much of its value mm-hmm. because people are making more money, you know, there's more money in circulation. And so you want the amount of bread, milk, rent, heating things like these really essential goods to sort of always stay at least close to the same price so that you don't like lose a bunch of money suddenly you're it costs one dollar for a cup a cup of coffee one day and then it costs 20 the next day you don't you don't want that to happen it it causes a lot of instability um and so having a goal of about two percent that's wildly accepted to be sort of a good range to, to target inflation um, just so it the, the price of the dollar steadily goes down but um, it, it doesn't lose its value inherently yeah and I think that explanation was very good at also explaining why we can't just print money because if we print money then it completely devalues the money that we already have I love that statement <laughs> I, I absolutely love that statement I think that it's huge it's very important in today's modern both like culture I guess of sort of thinking about how we deal with inflation right um also brings us into sort of a looking into the future how cryptocurrencies and decentralized currencies may impact this um of course that's speculation and probably something we might talk about on an informal podcast but it's it's something really interesting to look at Mm -hmm. um apart from this i think that sort of the introduction of the euro in 1996 in 1999 that sort of ends what we consider the impact of Maastricht and the EMU. Of course, there's still more impact today, but after that we have the Lisbon Treaty, and we're going to continue into sort of the modern era of the European Union. Right. After that time period, having the euro really, it just made it easier overall, technically. Um, So I guess moving on from the economic kind of actors, or not actors, the economic policy, just kind of the skeleton of what it is, we can talk about what, kind of bodies work in the emu so these political actors from the member states to these high authorities that we've talked about in previous episodes yeah so this is the first time well we, we've talked about it in both the the eec and the ecsc mm-hmm. how we start to get these bare bones and sort of a blueprint for how the european union actually works but this is the first time we have like multiple different institutions within the broader grouping of the EMU that really occurs. So I think we probably start with the the European Council. What what is that? So the European Council, as it regards the EMU, is the institution that creates or orients the 
policy making. So what are we going to tackle today? What kind of things within these monetary and fiscal policies do we need to focus on or a little more volatile that we need to really get under control? Okay, this might be a silly question. How is this different than the Council of the EU? The Council of the EU, though sounding very different or very similar, my bad. Um, the Council coordinates EU economic policy making and decides whether member states can adopt the euro. So it's they are more the if a state wants to come in and start using the euro and be a part of the eurozone, they are the ones that decide. Okay, it's beneficial for them. It's not for the rest of us, or it is for everybody, kind of thing. Okay, and that that moves us on to the Eurogroup, which is they coordinate policies of common interest for the euro area member states. Yeah, so everybody who's been approved by the council essentially is now then part of the euro group and can, I guess, put their efforts into into that kind of area. I think we all get what you mean. Yeah. Um, which that brings us to a really important actor, the member states. Yeah, so each member state within the EMU has their own degree of sovereignty, so then they can create their own national budgets within those limits that the EMU creates, so that 3% of uh, GDP for deficits, debt being uh, less than 60%, uh, what else can they do? They can determine their own structural policies, so improvement of labor, their pensions, their markets, salaries, all of that. Which, uh, I'll add a quick side note, the, the, the keeping of sovereignty in the European Union has always been a priority it's very important in sort of their design. And this is something we're always going to come back to when we talk mm -hmm. about the European Union or any supranational institution. Yeah. And the next, I guess, institution we can talk about is the commission, which kind of directly oversees almost the member states because it monitors their performance and their compliance. So if a member state isn't doing what they're supposed to, if they go, say, to 4% in deficits or something, they're like, hey, you can't be doing this. We really need you to cut back or put more out. Kind of thing, yeah. So the European Commission is the guard dog. Yeah, the right. checks and balances of the EMU. That's perfect. And oh. then we already talked about the European Central Bank, which brings us to sort of our last big institution or group, which is the European Parliament. Yeah, so they share the job of formulating legislation with the council. So we talk about, it is kind of the platform that people use to talk about these economic policies. Um, yeah, yeah. It, do you have anything to add? It gives a place for economic dialogue, yeah. right? So this is the place where they get to talk about um, what's going on in their countries, what might be best for them, and talk about their interests. Yeah, the yeah. heads of each state go up, have a little meeting, yeah. be like, hey, this is what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that mostly covers the, the European Monetary Union. A good skeleton shows all the, yeah, the little things going on in the EMU. So, uh, yeah, to finish, this was the episode about the EMU. We hope you learned a th little thing with us and join us next week on the European Soapbox. The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. 
As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry. All music is produced by Till Iringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.